0: is technically inept, and Jay was
1: late. I'm, I'm Jay. I'm
0: Debesh. I'm Jet, and I'm irritable.
1: I can, I can tell. <clears throat> I'm really... I I heard, though, that I messed up Debesh's cardio, so that's really what I'm worried about.
0: You did. Evening. Debesh, tell us about I totally cardio. Totally messed it up. Oh, I, I haven't d- worked out in like a week and a half. So I did... Uh, <laughs> get it on Snapchat. Debesh was talking about like doing headstands and I was like, "Oh, what's a headstand?" And I was like, "Show us." And he was like, "Okay." So he showed us and totally fell over like like a rag doll and I got it on Snapchat.
2: <laughs> I knocked over all sorts of stuff. It was great.
1: That's it incredible. was incredible. That's awesome. Um
0: so my bike got stolen. What's going on in you guys' world? uh Yeah.
1: Did you lock Still it? Still haven't up? found it. I
0: did, but listen to how my, no, I didn't find it. It's Stole. Dang. <laughs> well, I mean, it's my fault. It's, because, not
1: leaving, it's not lost?
0: No, because it's not a Pee Wee Herman scenario. Go but, home, bike. So, like, a month ago, this dude walked by and was like, yo, just so you know, you should bring your bike inside. Mine got stolen. And I was like, oh, it's cool. Mine's locked. And he was like, so was mine. And I was like, oh, okay, where?
1: <laughs> oh, shit. this so, you know, warnings. Oh, they, this is, yeah, the They they
0: also stole a painting of mine that was outside, so I know it's probably some, some dirty hippie.
1: Uh, probably.
0: Yeah, for sure. Who would, who would be like, oh, a bike and a painting? Sweet, sweet
1: painting. Sweet oh. painting,
0: bro. Um, <laughs> so what that else is going sucks. on?
2: I just got back from Louisiana, got to visit you guys and some family and stuff. It was awesome um had a had a last minute kind of trip to go see radiohead oh was, yeah 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 my, Did my you just buddy say last facebook, minute
1: trip to radiohead
2: look he put on facebook this show was for 7 30 he posted seven o'clock i got two extra tickets to radiohead they're like 65 five dollar tickets i'll sell them two for two for 100 bucks i was like holy cow and i was picking my parents up from their office and I was like, Mom, I might go see Radiohead. She's like, Oh, the best. You go go to the Roadhead show. And I was like, and she, and she and she just kept on saying it. And I was like, Mom, that's no, that's a bad word, and I can't tell you what it is, cause now I'm very uncomfortable. But I went. I went to the show. It was man. I mean, it was there. It was just a masterpiece. It was awesome. Man, it, yeah, did, right, it looked yeah. cool.
0: It looked cool. Yeah. It was
2: loud. Oh.
1: Right. Fuck. So the just... other thing that's going on is uh Debesh is on our podcast again. Yeah, that's true.
0: I'm,
1: I am here. Welcome to welcome back Debesh.
2: <laughs> Good to be back.
0: Yeah, Jay uh had to miss the interview because of work. So Debesh happened to be in town, so I was like, "Yo, you're you're going to you're going to do this interview with me." Um Let's get to that. I don't like this intro at all.
1: <laughs> You're so cranky. <laughs> dude, well, dude, there's there's
0: echoes going on. There's, I, I got some Death Wish coffee cake Keurig cups that might have something to do with it. And I drank mm-hmm. like one of those red line shots. <laughs> and whenever I drink a red line at the beginning of the day, by the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty cranky. I've noticed.
1: Uh, you
2: pick see. up a desire, Chip. Shut up.
1: let's get to this fucking interview (laughs) so who do we have coming on jed
0: oh mr mike morrell co-author of the divine dance with uh father richard Rohr. yeah so it's pretty pretty big deal it gets pretty uh pretty out there so buckle up So we are here with Mike Morell, the author, co-author of The Divine Dance. Mike, what's up, buddy? Howdy, howdy. It's Aaron. good to be here, y'all. <clears throat> and we got uh, everyone's favorite, Debesh, <laughs> filling in for Jay. He had a work emergency. Uh, at least that was his excuse. So. And
2: Debesh here, and happy to
0: be here. No, filling in you sound happy to be here no. <laughs> <laughs> i am I'm, I'm traveling but i'm i'm very excited to be here absolutely where where are you coming from mike i am in raleigh north carolina oh no oh, I'm, wow. I'm from um um from easley south carolina if you know where that is it's near oh,
3: Gr- I, greenville sure and then i grew up in columbia so Got it, yes. Yeah. Um, I'm from the Atlanta area originally, and when we drive back to see family, we always, you know, drive right by easily on 85. Used to have a, a good friend who lived there. Oh, cool. Um, Yeah, we're in Lafayette, Louisiana
0: now. DeBesh lives in Portland, so he's one of those liberal hippies now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Bring on the hemp necklaces. Dude, absolutely.
2: I <laughs> so- negate Und- that comment profusely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, all right, so for starters,
3: why don't you just tell us a little bit about your book? About the book, yes. So um, I was privileged to collaborate with Father Richard Rohr on The Divine Dance, The Trinity and Your Transformation, where we put out the idea that changing our vision of God can change everything. That's that's a bold statement. <laughs> Sure. And you know, everything could have an asterisk beside it. But I think for people in a culture that is formed by faith and formed by our images of God, we often tend to become what we behold. And so if we're we've grown up with this, you know, distant aloof god or this, you know, angry, vengeful God, or this candy machine dispenser genie god, like all of those form our behavior in certain ways and impact the ways in which we relate to each other because we tend to think uh that we are made in the image of god so so who's who's god in in whose image are we made
0: so what um that's interesting so you're from or you're in deep in the bible belt so what was your upbringing religiously
3: yeah yeah i was uh raised a denominational mutt yeah (laughs) Um, I've got you know within the conservative evangelical spectrum. I I was raised, came to faith, I guess, as a kid in a Southern Baptist context.
0: Nice. Then
3: had a uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit experience in a Pentecostal context, and then had people try to talk me out of all that nonsense in a Presbyterian church. That, so that's uh, where I
0: grew, PCA was where I grew up in. Yep. That's Same funny. here. So, yeah. how old are you now?
3: I am 37.
0: When was the switch? <laughs> the switch. W- when did you join Rob Bell and Oprah on the dark side?
1: Well,
3: kidding. you know, one <laughs> night I was kidnapped in the middle of the <laughs> night. I, <was laughs> to, that's, know, yeah, that's I knew it. How that happens. I knew <laughs> There were <two> flaming pentagrams. <laughs> and we had to burn a Bible <laughs> and swear our allegiance to the dark master. <laughs> No, it wasn't quite that dramatic. Sorry, people I grew up with. Uh, <laughs> you know, to me, it was always a very gradual evolution. I know I have many dear friends who have these crises of faith, might consider themselves post-faith these days, and that was never my experience. You know, for all of the uh, difficulties with my fundamentalist upbringing, people were basically kind. They basically were trying to do the best that they could do, and... Um, You know, I I don't have any huge scars from that period. Certainly, you know, some restrictions in terms of what was allowed to be thought about or considered. But I guess once I went to college, uh, a couple things happened. One is I fell in with a group of these sort of radically egalitarian, decentralized house church folks who gathered in homes, practiced open participatory gatherings really believed that women had every bit as right, uh, much a right to be there and to contribute as men, and were also really into the mystics. And so I got exposed to the various mystics of Christianity for the first time and began a contemplative prayer practice for the first time. And so that began to crack the door open for me beyond what I had been raised in, in and more conservative evangelicalism. No. And Around that same time in college, I discovered um, high-speed internet for the first time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this this was the turn of the century, and uh, and that enabled me to connect with other weirdos who were questioning things. Uh, among those being folks in what later became known as the Emerging Church conversation, uh, specifically a a website called theooze.com, dot com. Okay. And the the Ooze was this clearinghouse for what was then known as the postmodernity and Christianity conversation. You know, before blogs were really a thing, before social media was a thing, this was a space where people thought about things, wrote, asked questions, wrote articles and posted them, and then were really active on message boards. And uh, around 2002, I became an editor for The Ooze mm-hmm. and its founder, Spencer Burke. And, you know, within a few years, it's when I first met Father Richard uh, through an event we held called Solarize in the Bahamas. So that sounds awesome. (laughs) It was a lot of fun.
0: So so, uh, assuming and it's a safe assumption for our audience that maybe uh, let's define some terms here. So when we say contemplative, mystic, Christian mystic, what are we talking about here?
3: Yeah, great question. I think at the end of the day, what it most succinctly means is that there is no separation between us and the divine. And there's a very real felt separation or felt alienation that we can often experience, That but that from a God's eye point of view, there is no withholding. There is unconditional presence, unconditional love, unconditional compassion. And Rather than living in a wind-up universe with an aloof God, we live in a universe that is permeated with God, that God is all in all. So it's sort of like the, the goldfish who's on a quest for water. And it's like, where yeah. is this water people are talking about? Yeah. I've never seen it before. I feel like so many, both um, you know, materialist atheists and fundamentalists alike, are attempting to prove this extrinsic God who is out there somewhere. And what uh, contemplative spirituality says, what contemplative Christianity says, is God is right here. God's closer to us than our very breath.
0: Well, and, well, and I was going to say, yes. Yeah, so,
2: is it is it more so that uh, that there is a God who exists um, kind of extrinsically and within our environment, or just solely within each other and within environment, and we can
0: access that now? Like, or is it both? <laughs> I mean, and, I would we're, say and we're coming from
3: Christian and Hindu. Got it. Yeah. You know, if I were to attempt to locate myself technically on the philosophical spectrum, I would say that I'm a panentheist, mm-hmm. meaning that I believe in a God who is everywhere and in all things, and, and maybe even all things. I might even be willing to go that far. But I also think that God is more than the sum of the parts of the visible universe. <laughs> there is something transcendent about this God. I think of it kind of like I think of myself, like I am objectively speaking a collection of, of cells. I am, you know, this, this yeah. matter, this body. And yet there's something that seems to be generated by this collection that, that I call me, that's greater than the sum of my parts. I have this personality or persona or consciousness that is somehow everything I am plus, plus something more. else. Yeah. And, and I think that that's true of, Cities, corporations, uh, congregations—that that, that collections of material things seem to have personalities that outlast that specific finite collection and endure. And when I think of like the visible universe and everything mm-hmm. that we know, that extra something—I name God. Yeah. And, cool. and all right, so now that I
0: have, I'm in a—I guess I'm now I'm I'm in a period of reconstructing. Um, and I've been trying to put, I had issue when we had the book study, I had something about the contemplative and stuff. It's always ruffled me in some way. And I've always tried to put my finger on like what exactly that is. And now that uh-huh. I've got someone I can bounce stuff off of, if, if it's okay, I'd like to lodge like what, I guess specifically the issues I have with it. And like Sure. Um, go for it. What the? I guess this. Probably at its root, there's still a fear fear of hell for me, and okay. then I'm gonna I'll word salad a bunch of stuff at you, and then we can come back and. All, all right. Unpacking. Um, the verses in the Bible that talk about in the later times you'll be led away by deceiving spirits and deceiving teaching, and how do we know that that's not what is happening? And mm-hmm. it, it, like. And it sucks whenever I did like come at the contemplative, contemplative practices and stuff. It's like it's such a good sounding thing that it it makes me sound like a complete asshole. It's like, why why do you not want to believe that like God is love and everything is good? (laughs) But what about sin? Does it leave room for sin? Because I guess I'm part Calvinist in the total depravity of man, and I do believe that there's this gulf that had to be bridged. And, Uh um, and then I want to hear too about the, I did the part that stuck out to me was, um, the, being the fourth member of the Trinity. Ah, basically there's just some things that it's like, it sounds good, but there's a part of me that is just, my kind of my motto is like, I don't think God could hold against me what he gave us to go by, which I, which is the Bible, I suppose. He uh-huh. could, on the other hand, anything I add to that could be held against me, if that
3: makes sense. Okay, so in other words, hmm, so it sounds like a, a sort of a scorekeeper idea of God, or at least that God is scrupulous, like God cares about what you think and what you believe. And, you know, if, if you're interpreting the Bible, and maybe you interpret it wrong, but you're still trying to derive your beliefs from the Bible, God will be cool with that. But if you're suddenly into something that's completely out in left field as far as you know, that's that's fair game for God to be like, uh uh-uh, uh, I'm not cool with that. That's yeah, that's a fair assumption of that. Okay. A fair okay.
0: assessment of that.
3: Sure, sure, sure. Well, that's a very honest question and I'm glad that uh, but you're asking it. You know, before I, I dive into the specifics of your question, I'll just name that I am often right there with you. Um, That's you know, what I hear my, a lot
0: too. Yeah.
3: <laughs> since my since my early twenties, uh, I have had intermittent uh, struggles with anxiety. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. it, it started manifesting as a passenger in vehicles and feeling suddenly like claustrophobic or like I was strapped into a roller coaster and yeah. just needed to get out. And it's been a lot of fodder over the years for my spiritual journey to reflect on. You know. Questions sometimes that come up: Why does this exist? And then sometimes I'm more of a pragmatist, and I'm like, "How do I stop this from existing?" And I learn a lot of lessons, I think, about trusting God and also being grateful for science and various disciplines that are out there that help uh, to alleviate these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But I've got to tell you, like, when I'm at my healthiest, believing in a God of of boundless love and compassion. And concern for all of us, and and feeling like the the markers of spiritual maturity are expanding spheres of empathy for you know not just me and my family and my religious tribe, but for all humanity. Like that stuff comes easy to me, but if I'm in a wow. season where I'm feeling like a little panic attacky, <laughs> uh, it, suddenly I can you know beliefs that I long ago shed start to come back with a vengeance, and I hear this sort of. Voice in my head saying, "What if you're wrong? What if, what if in fact you're displeasing to God and that you need to get your life in order? You need to repent. The reason you're feeling this way is because something bad you're, you're believing or doing something wrong or bad." So, uh, you know, before I even delve into the questions themselves, I just want to say some solidarity. If I don't know if you ever feel that way. Oh, totally. But
0: in, and it's and my counter thought to that is that it's just but that. But that just cannot be because I, I still struggle with legalism and uh-huh. I've had to like when I got sober this time around I, I prayed on my knees every morning every night right this is this is an example and I've had oh. I've had to tell myself that God does not care if I pray not on my knees one night like I'm not you know what I'm saying like God uh-huh. is not you like you're talking, he's gonna yeah. not gonna love me any less. Because the, uh-huh. the, the flip side is I'm thinking it's making him love me more. And I'm missing the point of Jesus and that, like, there's nothing I can do one way or the other. So that's mm-hmm. very much with you on that.
3: Yeah, yeah, I hear you. It's sort of a tug of war. It and um, Yeah, you know, I, I think with the fear of hell, it's, it's always possible to play Bible verse roulette with different scriptures that on the surface seem to be saying different things about hell. On the one hand, you know, we have statements about being, beware that, you know, you're going to be cast into the lake of fire where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. On the other hand, you have Paul saying, in Adam all have died, in Christ all will be made alive. Right. Or, the you know, the pastoral epistle passage where it says, you know, Christ is the savior of all humanity, especially yeah. those who believe. It's, <laughs> it's like, like, what? Yeah. especially. Well, that's interesting.
0: It's, it's like <laughs> I, I read, I read love wins and then I read
3: a racing hell and I was just like,
1: what? I don't even know what to believe. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah.
3: I, you know, I, I would say the inescapable love of God by Thomas Talbot is even better than love wins. And I like love wins. I consider Rob a friend, but inescapable love of God is the tour de force on a biblically reasoned, you know, thoroughgoing deconstruction of hell. But, you know, that. and that said, and that probably is a great book if you want to dive into hell and the nature and scope of redemption, etc. But I think at the end of the day, like, hell is used rhetorically, at least, by Jesus a lot. And we can't get away from that. And I don't think that we should get away from that. You know, my friend, uh, Brian McLaren, cites some scholarship in his book, The Secret Message of Jesus. And essentially, it goes like this. You know, in the Hebrew Bible, you don't have hell. You have Sheol, you have the grave. But by and large, Jewish cosmology for most of the time period of the Hebrew Bible is that when you're dead, you're dead. And you, you go to this, yeah, like, the Abra- Abraham's place. bosom. Right, right. And that's basically it. Now, there begins to be a shift during, you know, what's known as the exile period, where there's starting to become a hope for a resurrection of the righteous. So, you know, in, in Ezekiel and Daniel and some of these places, you start to see this resurrection of the righteous where in this day of the Lord, they will come and then they will be able to fight in an army of like redeemed, <laughs> holy, undead warriors to avenge Israel's enemies. I mean, doesn't that sound badass? Let's <laughs> be real. Yeah, I, mean, be real. I would play that video game. <laughs> exactly. Um, And uh, so so you start to have that, but even then it's not quite our idea of immortality. You know, I forget, I think it's Isaiah, one of the places in Isaiah where it prophesies a new heaven and a new earth. And it says, one of the hallmarks of this new heaven and new earth is that people will be paid fair wages and they will live long lifespans. it's like... Oh, that's interesting. That it's not interesting. A, a platonic soul that doesn't die or touch the ground that plays a harp forever. It's still this very earthy, embodied, like you know, Bernie Sanders platform. Well, just, or something yeah, like. and I <laughs> totally
0: think it's just going to be a an, an Edenic perf- perfected world. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That's yeah. I, I went to. Um, I've been thinking about the afterlife a lot lately. I went to a, a good buddy's wake today. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, not to. But yeah, so, and me and my wife had a discussion about heaven, and it's just so, you know... know it's interesting, from the Hindu perspective, I mean, it's, it could be argued that Earth is a
2: layer of hell, you know? Um, <laughs> you know, it could be argued that there is not just one hell, but maybe several. Um, and maybe not one heaven, but maybe several. And maybe it's not just so easily dichotomized as the heaven mm-hmm. and hell in the afterlife um this is interesting
3: yeah hell is other people i think that's what uh philosopher once said uh yeah and so what's interesting is there is a more developed idea of hell in the sort of monotheistic world in the neighboring faith of zoroastrianism Mm. right so zoroastrianism is this highly dualistic uh religion where you have this really equally powerful good god and bad god And theoretically, you could serve either, but, you know, a good Zoroastrian would be serving the good God. I want to say Ahura Mazda is the name. And within that, they had a very uh, well-defined conception of hell that, interestingly enough, the Pharisee party in the first century borrowed. And so the Pharisees began talking a lot about hell, and they sort of added it to their list of reasons to be, you know, legally pure by the law because the pharisees concern was that the you know the jewish people were not being ritually pure they were not being observant they were not being righteous enough and that's why bad things were happening to them that's why rome was occupying their land and if they could just get their act together then then god would uh, resurrect the righteous dead and and you know that video game would happen yeah and, <laughs> but but they were but they were using hell as yet one more thing to you know trounce upon the sinners with mm-hmm. And, and the interesting thing about sinners in the first century is it wasn't like the more generic way that we use it now, like all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but it tended to be kind of a, a socioeconomic slur. It was like if you were a sort of um, mercenary tax collector, if you were a sex worker, if you were you know the sort of bottom of the barrel scuzz of society, you were a sinner. And those were the people that the Pharisees said were in danger of hell. Well so yeah, well, what, Jesus comes along. Oh go ahead.
0: No, uh well, and is it safe to say I'm guessing, do you not do you believe in a literal Satan?
3: I believe in a literal Satan.
0: Or that Satan is a, a per a, a being and not this force thing.
3: hmm I really like what Walter Wink did with uh scholarship in a book called The Powers That Be, where he critiques both liberal and literalist understandings of the spirit world. He's like, you know, on the one hand, there is this massive ego that a fundamentalist would have. If you li- if you believe in a literal Satan and you think that that literal Satan is tempting you, right, <laughs> right, 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 right. you're sort of you're sort of ascribing omniscience, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're sort of ascribing omniscience and omnipresence to this like fallen angel. And he, he's, he's busy with Trump right now. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, brother. I absolutely me? said it. <laughs> and. And on the other hand, though, you have like liberals who are like, yeah, you know, maybe there's bad stuff. But really, if we just have a good psychologist, then, you know, we'll be fine. And Walter Wink was a good liberal Protestant theologian, but then he ended up spending time in South Africa when it was under apartheid, mm-hmm. and saw the you know genuine evil of institutional racism, and not only you know in an abstract sense, but he actually experienced things that right. in my Pentecostal upbringing we would say were you know demonic manifestations. Yeah, and it was there that he began to develop a cosmology that I actually indirectly referenced earlier, where he says that when you read in in letters to Revelation in the first seven chapters when the um, revelator, the author, is, is uh, being instructed to the angel of the church of so-and-so write this, to uh-huh. the angel of the church of so-and-so write that, that the angel of the church is the corporate spirituality of that congregation or the collective spirituality that forms the angel of that institution. And the angel is the sum of the parts of the people in the congregation plus that little something else that gives them their own personification or personality. And that a demon is when an organization of any kind falls short of its mandate to serve humanity and inverts that in on itself, that that becomes then demonic. And so you have in uh, Daniel, uh, I believe it's one of the archangels wrestling with the Prince of Persia.
0: Michael, yeah.
3: See, I yeah michael and the prince of persia and the prince of persia is the corporate spirituality of persia that has fallen from its original mandate of service and it's a compelling idea it's a little bit of a literary twist to it, it but I, I i believe in in real personifications and that's that's the the extent to which i you know personally willing to commit one way or another i know that it it definitely feels real when we're in the presence of the demonic and it's worth taking seriously. Yeah. right. Have you ever uh, are you familiar with the unseen
0: realm by Heiser?
3: Yes, I am familiar with yeah. it. I, I haven't read it, but I am uh, familiar.
0: with it. I'm big on the the uh, in the matters of the spirit. Like I'm pr- I'm pretty literal reading into it and in like the Book of Enoch and the the Book of the Watchers uh-huh. and Jubilees and Yeah. I okay. believe in like the literal assignment of countries and nations to certain angels and But that's, Mm -hmm. and so, and that raises an interesting point in that does it matter which way you believe? Does it change? Mm. I don't, I'm getting to, I guess it doesn't. Does it change what? Does it change anything? If I, what does it matter if I believe, or does it matter if I believe that an angel is the sum of a body of believers, or if it's a literal spiritual being? Does that change? (laughs) You know what I mean? Does that change yeah. my reality or reality in itself?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Because it yeah. obviously, um, who wrote the sin of certainty? Was that like Peter Ends or maybe? It sure is. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like the like Rob Bell, like you. There are so many learned Preston Sprinkle just know the Old Testament everything front and back, and there's just so many differences of interpretations and translations and it's just it apparently it's not meant to be certain is what i'm kind of mm-hmm. landing at and yeah
3: yeah you know i i take a cue from our our older siblings in faith the jewish community where yeah. they have this whole tradition of, of midrash of, of really wrestling with the text and sinking their teeth yeah. into the text give and us the, what, what is midrash midrash well let's you know the the tech. I, I don't know enough about Hebrew to know the technical definition of, of what it would be considered, but it was it's like a way of commentating on their their holy scripture. And the the point is that it's done in community. Is that they
0: they'd, they'd read a scripture
3: and like and debate its meaning like publicly? Is in that what? Yeah, yeah. They okay. they hash it out. And yeah. You know, they're, they're, there's even a parable about these you know two old rabbis that would be. They, they were constantly debating the meaning of this particular passage back and forth, back and forth for years and decades and, and toward the end of their life. Um, one day, God was so tired of hearing them debate that God steps down from heaven and says, do you two wanna hear and understand what it really means? And, and they both turn to God and say respectfully but firmly, no, you have, given us, you have given us your word. Now it is up to us to interpret.
0: That's funny, <laughs> and
3: and it, you know, at its healthiest, I think that the Jewish community has learned something that maybe we're still learning as Christians, which is that the inspiration is not found in the one timeless, deathless interpretation for all eternity. Right. The inspiration is found within the very vigor of its conversation and the very you know heat of of hashing through what it means, and it often. Oftentimes, when I look at my life and how I grow, I don't usually grow when I think I have all the answers figured out. I yeah. grow when I'm asking the questions. Oh, that's true. And
0: I did, um, we, we had a conversation with Dan Koch the other day, and I, I, I was trying to figure out with my co-host, Jay, why I'm so concerned lately with, with getting the right answer. And it kind of dawned on me when I was trying to go to bed. Like, usually, good things uh-huh. come to you. Um Yep. So, having this addiction, having my my alcoholism and this disease that, like, there are... And, like, I figure most people can trust their own intuition. Most people do trust their own intuition. That might be a a wrong guess. But I so Uh oppositely do not trust a damn thing that Jed thinks that I really (laughs) need direct answers because if I get it wrong there's going to be literal like I could end up shooting up heroin again like that's a literal real deal consequence of me
3: getting something wrong and I think that's where it's coming from but Uh uh-huh yeah I'm, I'm really glad you said that because you know I had an experience with a friend of mine good friend of mine who was a leading I would say on a popular level like a leading progressive Christian teacher theologian who would, you know, write prolifically, you know, do, do some video teaching and stuff. And he also struggled with a particular addiction. And there was a little while where he he felt like um, that he couldn't find fellow progressives that took his addiction seriously. <laughs> And because he, you know, had some economic hardship, he wasn't able to, like, check himself into a really expensive rehab place. Right. So the place where he could go that was like a ministry that was based on, um, you know, a a, a pay-what-you-can-afford policy was this super conservative institution. And, you know, he went in, and I believe he got the help that he needed. He got a handle on his addiction, began to be on the road to recovery. But, you know, the unfortunate side effect was that suddenly he didn't like gay people. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. These certain, <clears throat> these certain attitudes and beliefs that he unconsciously adopted from the environment, and, and it was a really painful thing to watch. Mm. Uh, but I, I you know, place as much um, blame or, or responsibility, rather, on progressive Christians who didn't form a strong enough container for him to take his addiction seriously to deal with that. And, and I would say, you know, in response to that, and in response to what you just shared, is that for me, it's not so much about what are the unchanging beliefs, or maybe there are a couple, and we can get to that in a minute. Yeah. But it's more about am I rooted in a face-to-face community where I trust people to call me on my BS and to really be there for me when I need them. And if I have that, that is the bedrock thing. And sometimes people who are deconstructing their faith aren't as strong on having those kinds of strong communities. And therefore, I understand the appeal of fundamentalism. It's why most prison ministries are fundamentalist as well, because people need good boundaries. And if you're not Mm going to get those good boundaries in relationships, then you're going to seek them out in beliefs.
2: Yes. I think it kind of works like in the beginning of a recovery cycle in addiction. It's things need to be in a very black and white frame in a mindset. And then because <laughs> it's just, you know, you need to be told, you know, every day, like, you know, need to do this, can't do this, need to do this, that, can't do that. And that yeah. kind of creates some boundaries and separation with people. But it be, it's yeah. functional at that time. And then as you grow, it's like, oh, wait, you know, this person can do this. That's fine. This person can do believe that way, worship that way, pray that way. You know, do the twelve steps this way, and um, yep. and it's just you know you, you create some room to grow around those areas, and it kind of seems almost the same in mm-hmm.
0: uh, in a religious or spiritual pathway too. Yes, and and yeah. it, and I, I realize also at its root. Sorry to cut you off. It's um, it's a if really it's a fundamental lack of trust in God, and it's saying that like I have everything to do with god's business with me that you know what i'm saying like that uh-huh. i could i could possibly like god's gonna rescue me from heroin addiction but then like he's gonna let me read one book and that's it don't <laughs> hell boy you know like
3: it's it's <laughs>
0: right when and i is there that's what, the, yeah you know, when i speak it out loud i can hear the the the, the kind of tr- ridiculousness illusion, yeah. of it but these are you know and yeah. i have uh some ocd I have depression. I'm on medication for that. So it's I've always had kind yeah. of kind of a neuroses, toward a, sort of overthinking mind, and mm-hmm. um, but right. we can talk yeah. about uh, universal truths and it, is there such a thing? And
3: because
0: mm-hmm. like Jay always says, and that's pretty much where I'm at now is I believe Jesus was the Son of God and died for my sins, resurrected. Past that, I'm figuring it out.
3: <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I tend to fall back on what Jesus answered. Uh, what was the you know essence of the law and the prophets? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang all the law and the prophets. And I'm like, if, if, if that's true, that's a lot too. Like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, sure, loving, loving God wholly and loving our neighbor as ourselves, which also, by the way, implies loving ourselves, That that is a lot. Yeah. It's plenty. It's plenty to deal with before answering, you know, maybe some of the bigger questions that are beyond my pay grade. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, I, I'm curious, Jed, when is the last time, if I can ask you this, oh, yeah. like when's the last time that you've really on a, on a deep down level felt that God loves you and cares about you? It was actually uh, like a week or so ago. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it... Um, Do you remember what you were doing or what what was going on when that occurred to you? Man, what was it?
0: I was actually driving and listening to Sigarose. Rose, if you've ever heard of that band. Yes! Uh, yeah, and I... I it, it, this this past couple months, it's been a lots of dark nights of the soul where, like, God seems really distant. And then, like, you know, I was just driving home and listening to a song, and I just like. At that moment, there was nothing you could tell me that would convince me that that was not God, and that I, you know what I'm saying. It was a goose God. a goose flesh moment. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, yeah. I I guess that is. Yeah, that's a solid question. Um, it. It's not as consistent as as I would like. I'm sure it's, and it probably has to do with me not still learning to love myself, and I have this. Disdain for humanity, I really do. Like I'm, I'm cynical. Mm-hmm. That's my biggest fight, and I guess that's mm-hmm. why it's easy for me to accept depravity and hard for me to accept love for for humanity because I tend to look to paint it with a broad brush of like this is just broken and disgusting and like this mm-hmm. needs cleansing because I need cleansing and
3: mm-hmm. I guess that's mm-hmm.
0: where I'm coming from. I'm, I'm kind of yeah. working it out as I'm saying it. So,
3: yeah, totally. Now, Jed, do you have kids? Not yet. Okay. I, th- I think I want them, okay. but yeah, no. <laughs> I don't know. Do you want those totally depraved little monsters? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It'll change tomorrow. I, 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 I asked because I, I have kids, and when you were talking about just like your, your heavy feeling of, man, is humanity just inherently complicit in this whole thing, inherently worthless, I, I think of the different ways in which the Christian East versus the Christian West interpreted the idea of Adam and Eve in the garden and what happened in the garden and how in the West, you know, influenced by Augustine, that tended to be viewed as the fall, you know, the fall from grace, where there was this, this sort of willful spiting of God that occurs that, that not only they, but we are forever complicit in. And it's like, oh, how terrible can you be? (laughs) Whereas... Whereas in the Christian East, it's viewed in a in a different, a subtly but substantially different way, and it's more like we were children. It was humanity in our infancy, and maybe a, a mistake was involved. That would be the strongest way to put it. But that, you know, of course, kids make mistakes. Like yeah. my my child will will make all kinds of mistakes, and uh, I I don't stick them in the closet for an hour never mind uh, punish them for, for eternity every. yeah right, exactly. <laughs> right. And, and I love and, and I the I parent like, analogies yeah and, and I feel like it's a legit analogy it's not yeah. just like oh, oh yeah I'm, no yeah I'm a, li- I'm a liberal soft 21st century parent like right. Jesus himself invited that comparison when he said you know if you being wicked so there you got a little at least a little depravity right if you being wicked know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father uh, know how to give good gifts? To yeah. to God's children, and and specifically when Jesus teaches us to forgive as our Father in heaven forgives, that to me draws yeah, a big yeah. line of sand. Yeah, it you does know, between between most forms of religion that seem to take root in a population. Which I've got to agree with my atheist friends here. Religion is often a mechanism of fear and control that uh, introduces yeah. subservience to authority. And since you brought up Trump, I'll go there. Yeah. Like. I grew up in the religious right where I was told that what we cared about were family values and that the things, you know, we wanted someone who respected women, respected the family, the home, et cetera. And and then I see these same people all voting for Trump. Oh, yeah. It's 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 mind blowing, like. It has, it has blown my mind, but then what I come down to at the end of the day is that while I do believe my family and friends were sincere when they were talking about the family values, at the end of the day, what they most cared about beyond any of that was a sheer display of authority and power hmm. in a certain way. And that, Just like you know, the
0: Jews saying, we want a king, here's
3: your crown, Jesus. Right. And, yeah. you know, it's it's sort of a... a A a south shaming way of putting it, but I've heard people say that you know Trump is like a rednecks idea of a rich person. You know, (laughs) (laughs) toilet bowls. Yeah, 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 yeah. We call that that, hood rich. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, redneck rich, hood rich, TDN rich. um, Oh
0: man, yeah.
3: Whatever it is, you know, Trump seems to embody that, and unfortunately, that is the image of God that I think a lot of us have: is that God is flaunting this really gaudy, you know, King Louis-style authority, and and that we then naturally look up to that when we see that in leadership. And it's so weird because Jesus said, if you want to lead, be a servant of all. The first will be last, and the last will be first. So he demonstrates this very different image of God that, to take it all the way back full circle, you know, Father Richard and I see in the Trinity that in the Trinity we actually have a God who is mutual, who exhibits vulnerability, who exhibits a genuine relationship. And you see the Father deferring to the Son, and the Son deferring to the Father, and the Spirit connecting all of this together. And you know, one of your questions is about the whole idea of the fourth member of the Trinity. Is that heretical? Well I remember one of the first mystical moments I had in the Presbyterian Church, in the PCA Church, is I was sitting in like an empty chapel one day uh, at at our church, and I was reading John 17 for the first time. And, you know, John 17 is this, uh, what, you know, some people call the the great high priestly prayer of Jesus, where he is praying, essentially, he's like, you know, Father, the hour has come, you know, glorify me that I might glorify you. And it goes on to use all this really interesting language about how you dwell in me, Father, and I dwell in you, and I pray that we will dwell in our followers, and our followers will dwell in each other, and they'll dwell in us, and not just them, but therefore, you know, the people that go after them. He starts using all this inward, Mm -hmm. interdwelling language that stretches the the sense of good grammar and syntax to its limits. Uh, A lot of dwelling. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of indwelling going on And, uh, you know, it, it really rankled my Presbyterian sensibilities That said, well, this isn't properly, you know, preserving the distinction Between creature and creator <laughs> But,
1: yes.
3: yeah. you know, here, here it was in this very mystical gospel A, a prayer coming from Jesus himself and, and, you know, I tend to think that Jesus' prayers get answered uh, you know, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, I'll agree with
0: you there in the, on so, the,
2: i'm sorry no, go ahead no no go for it i was reading in uh, the divine dance you talked briefly about uh this idea of a cosmic christ um which <laughs> is just really cool and plays into you know my belief systems to a certain <laughs> extent of this christ consciousness that kind of exists uh it's not limited to a being, but kind of permeated or indwells dwells throughout um, mm-hmm. the the spheres. I mean, could you speak to that a little bit? Um, the cosmic sure. Christ and what you what you mean by that?
3: Absolutely, you know the cosmic Christ is not just a product of lava lamps and black light posters, right. <laughs> uh, but is you know it's the the Christ that we see show up in in John one one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and, and you know all things are created. It, it's it's the Christ that shows up in Colossians and Ephesians that that all of things were created by, through, to, and in Christ, and that Christ is the all in all and you know there's this idea that there's Jesus of Nazareth mm-hmm. you know and then there is this pre-existent logos or word or christ that interjects with history and and that you know Jesus becomes the embodiment of this christ but then also says as he's you know dying and rising and indwelling his followers, he says, you all are going to go on to do even greater works, and you're going to have the paraclete, the helper, the spirit, uh, who will guide you into all truth and reality and power. And so there's this sense in which, you know, Christ includes, of course, Jesus of Nazareth, but also transcends Jesus of Nazareth. And and so, yeah, we do touch on the cosmic Christ. And actually, Father Richard's uh, next book that he has coming out will be taking a more in-depth look at that, that dimension. And that's
0: probably the, yeah, that's obviously a, a super uh, controversial statement, too. You can totally see. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, well, well, maybe not. Maybe it's not. I don't know, because it doesn't it have to, I don't even know that that, like, um, discounts the divinity of Jesus. I think it does
2: it all, you know, and I think, you know, nah. when we ascribe certain qualities to 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 beings in historical texts whether divine or not that limit their functions. I mean, I I just think things that limit our overall <laughs> you know could be problematic in the long term for Well, it's for uh,
0: well, it's are we well, I guess to clarify cuz in my mind we it's Jesus as a being versus I see just like a, a a Jesus ooze where it's like he's not a specific thing but he's everything. You know what I'm saying? Like a like a, <laughs> a, a blanket Jesus, okay. and it and it takes away from because yeah. that could that could be taken like as like the sanctity of it. Yeah, there. and the and the sac and like mm. and see this is my thing if. If certain things are true, that's like given. That could potentially be like giving a big old giant middle finger to the God of the universe that came to Earth and died for us. And it's like that's where mm-hmm. I'm like, like I'm not. You know what I'm uh-huh. like. Th- uh-huh. These are.
3: I, get it. It. I hear you. you want you want to pay proper respect. Yes. To the Savior of the world, and I totally respect that. Um, You know, I I have a high Christology. I I, I confess Jesus as, you know, the son of God and the son of humanity and and the reconciler of the world, you know, second person of the Trinity, all that good stuff. I also believe, you know, Paul, when he writes that Jesus was the firstborn of many brothers and sisters, that there is this sense in which, I mean, the very etymology of Christian means little Christ. Christ. Yeah,
2: Yeah. yeah, and ye are the sons of God.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, because I'm a panentheist, I'm I'm willing to say that there's, you know, something unique about Jesus and that we are reflections of, of that. And at the same time, on a functional level, I think that us stepping into our Christedness is something that doesn't bring aggrandizement, but brings extreme humility if we take Jesus as our model of what it means to embody Christ in the world, so it's uh, it's actually a, a path of humility that makes me think of Francis of Assisi or Dorothy Day or people who yeah. have Oscar Romero, folks who have um, you know Nelson Mandela, people who have lived their lives in this sort of sacrificial love for humanity and God.
0: Yeah, Shane Claiborne too. That's one of my favorite modern ones. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Well, we're getting uh, we're getting close. I want to make sure. This has been a great conversation, by the way. Uh, I want to make sure we get um, your stuff out there. You've got a new bonus chapter to the book. If people go to mikemorell.org backslash bonus chapter, is that right?
3: Yeah, yeah, forward slash, I think. Forward but yes. slash. Uh, yeah, forward slash bonus chapter. It's a it's a bonus chapter to the Divine Dance, so you know, which we, we've touched on a little bit today. So if you're listening to this and you're curious about the Divine Dance, if you go down there, you can download a bonus chapter that has a preview of the book itself. It also has a bit of my personal story and, you know, a time in my life when I was experiencing a lot of loneliness and anxiety, and then I had this encounter with God as Trinity that absolutely changed my life. And so I I share that story in there. Was, it, finally, was it like a uh, like a spiritual experience? Like a it, it was it like was like a white light full-blown moment full-blown type, type thing. It was a full blown mystical experience, oh, the most I love those. I've ever had. Uh, so yeah, if yeah, you that sounds <laughs> check awesome. that out, we, we can go come back on another time and talk I'm about sure, it if yeah. you want.
0: Oh, but, could, yeah.
3: And the other thing, Jed, that I think you might especially like about this bonus chapter, I'm now going to pitch it directly to you. Hey, is bring it on. There are, uh, there's some exercises in the back of the book that you can try. Some are alone and some are with a friend. And uh-huh. they're spiritual practices that are, are rooted deep within the contemplative Christian lineage and also some that draw on more contemporary sources of inspiration of saying, If God is community and if we take this Trinitarian revelation and belief seriously, what are some of the interpersonal practices and experiences we can have where we can see God within one another and celebrate what God is doing in our lives? And so there's a particular one in there. That's a mirror exercise where you spend some time actually looking at your own reflection and and speaking to yourself and seeing what comes up. That I think would be really mm. interesting for you to try. In particular, the details of which are in that bonus chapter.
0: I will. I will. And I will get back to you on that. Um,
3: yes.
0: Yeah. I'd love to hear. And you also uh,
3: run Speakeasy, or did you start Speakeasy? Yes. Yeah. I sure did. Um, yeah. Speakeasy, which you can find at thespeakeasy.info is a network of bloggers and podcasters like yourself who enjoy reading and reviewing awesome books. Yeah. So, I get to work with amazing authors and idea leaders and get the word out about messages that they're passionate about and I provide free review books for bloggers and podcasters in exchange for an honest review. Nice. And, and then uh, really cool. And so the real question, what do we got to do to get
0: on Wild Goose Festival? Let's let's just <laughs> get down to it. Who, yes, what yes. wheels do
3: I have to grease? Well, you know, the easiest way is to go to wildgoosefestival.org and, and get a ticket. Uh, but uh, there, there, there might be other ways, which we can talk about offline. But anyone listening to this, the Wild Goose Festival is a four-day arts, justice, and spirituality festival that brings together teachers, musicians, facilitators of all stripes. And it's just a lot of fun. Highly recommend it. The final thing I'll plug that I'm involved in is um, a ministry called Presence. Uh, If you go on Presence.tv, we look at these often harmful and catastrophic interpretations of the Bible, specifically with regards to end times or eschatology. We deconstruct those from a biblical and historical perspective, reinterpret them, And also look at the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, through a developmental lens showing a a species growing in maturity and love of God and empathy toward each other. And how, on a practical living level, we can live generous lives with God, looking forward to an open future. So if you check out presence.tv forward slash free dash downloads, there's a seven-part video series there that's really fun too. So I'll send you these for your show notes as well. You know, Absolutely, we can, man. We can hook your listeners up with all kinds of cool free stuff awesome. here. Yeah,
0: for sure. Well, thanks for coming by, Mike. We will uh yeah. we will talk to you
3: soon, bud. Absolutely, y'all. It's great being here. Take care.
0: Alright, and that was a great interview. I had an attitude adjustment.
1: Uh I hope it sticks.
0: Oh, it's it's gonna stick. <laughs> it's gonna stick. I was threatened with being replaced if I didn't chip her up. So, hey guys.
1: Uh, what's up? No, but for real,
0: that was a really really good interview. Debesh, what did you think since you did the interview? Jay, you be silent. You had nothing to do with it.
1: You can't tell me. I, this is my podcast, dude. You can't tell so me. So, Debesh, what did it you was, think?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. I,
2: for, I think for the majority of it, just you know, hearing you two go back and forth, uh, like you know, a lot of Christian theology that you know I'm just not aware of, but it was you know it was just so cool being able to listen to his perspective and uh, like the depth of his understanding with a lot of that, and um, I really enjoyed it, man. I mean, the Christian mysticism stuff—it's interesting how a lot of it lines up with you know, Eastern belief systems, and so that stuff has always interested me, um, and, yeah, it was, it was, it was really cool. Dude
0: is a, a certifiable genius. Yeah. Kind of like super articulate, I'm always, yeah, I'm very aware of my ers and ums whenever I talk to someone that well-spoken.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. I'm sorry, are you talking like you, you have input, Jay?
1: Are you? I do. I do have input. Okay. I what's say. let
0: um, say you. I really.
1: Let's <laughs> say you. I really appreciate you guys filling in for me, specifically Debesh, and for being a nice guy about it and not a giant dick and trying to tell me to be quiet on my own fucking podcast.
0: <laughs> That's me. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
1: But I do have to say something that I thought was funny, and you know Jed alluded to it earlier on in our uh, earlier in this po- episode, but. Um, what I think is funny is being late is like my biggest pet peeve in the entirety of the universe. And I, congregation, y'all, I can't count – I can't tell you how many times – I don't think I could count on my fingers and toes how many times I've been like super frustrated with Jed in particular for being like two seconds late. Yeah. Like two 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 seconds to two and a half minutes late and I was like an hour.
0: An late. hour, yeah. A solid hour. Like I've got everybody ready to go. I, I got beverages for our guests. Um, you know, I put the cats in the other room. And where's Jay? Nowhere to be found. I get
1: it. I get a text saying, uh, "Are you ready yet?" And I was like, "Holy shit!" I totally forgot. Yeah.
2: Good I'm on you. Yeah. Good.
1: Ooh, you y'all, know.
2: Will be, y'all will be mad at me then, because I, I operate on Indian Standard Time, what? which is <laughs> which is like. It's like an hour past Color People time.
1: <laughs> so, uh...
0: <laughs> yo man,
2: yo,
1: yo, I just
0: happen to be on time, right? now. <laughs> yo man, where are you at? Oh, I'm around the corner. I'm round away. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: I'm coming I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. Five minutes. <laughs> hey, we um, we did get another Patreon though. Patreon, though.
1: Yeah, we did. Yeah. Super stoked. Um, our boy Nate Dog. And we're on um, very soon to talk about, uh, you know, why he parted with his hard-earned $5 a month. And also to talk about Bigfoot.
0: Yes, I have a fellow Bigfoot believer, and we're going to shut Jay down. I'm going to research the crap out of it.
1: He won't, because it's ridiculous. It's
2: not ridiculous. Wait, So, so where do y'all stand on Bigfoot? Uh,
0: He exists.
1: <laughs> okay. There's no fucking way. There's <laughs> he, he's no
3: way.
0: Not Apparently not That's out.
2: all out here. Uh, I got a sponsee who's a big Bigfoot uh, believer. Do you really? Does it,
0: mm-hmm. does do, you does know any, do you know hunting? anyone that has personal uh, first-hand accounts? I don't. Can he you find? might, though. Yeah, I can, can talk to him. Please do. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Actually, this I mean, it. It. no, dude. Like, They just found out that there might be Tasmanian tigers still alive. Do you hear about that? Mm-mm.
1: Yeah, so, but they've only been dead since, like, the 60s. Nah, dog. They've
0: been dead for, yeah, like, a right? hundred years.
1: Okay, a hundred. Okay, a hundred yeah. years. When has anybody ever, like, really documented Bigfoot, though? Or had specimens
0: Gigantopithecus. of
1: Gigantopithecus. Where's the specimens at, bruh?
0: Dude, I don't know. It's a Smithsonian cover-up, dude. Whatever. The burden of proof <laughs> is not on me. That's
1: what I'm to... saying. That's what I'm saying. That's honey. like
0: saying, like, is gravity real, dude? Of course it is. Where's the scientific evidence of gravity, huh, Mister Science Man?
1: And tons oh, of you physics. mean
0: you mean that thing the Vatican made up to hold us down, <coughs> right? <laughs> I'm just this conversation. Drop something. Cool. I don't. I don't. I don't. This yell.
1: conversation is over. <laughs> you
0: know what the uh, you know what flat Earthers think gravity is? What's that? That it's dark matter pressing like the 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 disk of the Earth is hurtling through space, being propelled by dark matter underneath it, and and so gravity is just like centripetal force, centrifugal for force. That so wait, like, Jay, aren't I mean Jed? Aren't you? A, aren't you? No, we've Earth been or? through this. No, I'm not. I just think it's. Were'n't interesting. you at some point? I'm probably. I, I could say I'm a hollow earther. I'll go there. Okay oh uh what, what is the that
1: fuck i don't i don't I can't take this tonight I can't do it <laughs> I can't do it enough. well, then just go hollow earther what does that even mean I, dude, I
0: don't have the time nor the crayons to explain it to you okay <laughs> fair enough, fair enough <laughs> it you know Woo. it's uh, I don't think like the earth is hollow, but I think there there is like. Man, I hate not... I need long form to not sound like an idiot, but I think there's caves under the earth where, like, these people might live in the...
1: Where people live? There's people under there, too? No. Hobbits? You know, there, there was people? a
0: hobbit people they found? <laughs> no, I don't believe in lizard people. That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard.
1: You just told me there's caves under the earth where people live. Well, hey, lizard have, people dude, are off ca- like out out of bounds?
0: Yeah, dude, that's way I left field, dude. I have my no. limits to conspiracy <laughs> shit, dude. And lizard people is where I draw the line. You yeah. <laughs> <Cool. laughs>
3: know. I mean, oh, that's boy. perfectly
0: logical. Congregation, write me write me an email um with Please. Yeah. I want to just Something. hear like, what's your best conspiracy theory you got?
2: You're going to get an email from one of the lizard people.
0: That'd be awesome. <laughs> like they think Queen Elizabeth is a lizard person. That whole
1: <laughs> I'm almost positive Joel Osteen is a lizard
0: That's all the David Icke stuff. Yeah, yeah David Icke's an idiot. <laughs> he's an idiot, dude. He's just a, he just like whatever. It, the planet, I mean it's all like it's a cool story but it's like whatever, man. He's he's he's, he's, he's the he's the but Oprah he of the it's conspiracy of reptilians. World. It's like Yeah, dude. It's like you lost me. Because he, he just literally just pulled it out of thin air, like complete thin air. The, the His pl- planet X is N- such Nibiru. Crap, yeah. yeah, there is no evidence. Yeah. Oh, except the remember the picture they took of Obama's Secret Service agent, and they're like, proof of a lizard? Because have you seen it? Like, whatever angle I was looking at, the dude really did look like a freaking lizard. It was the, the bald headed oh, black guy. I did see that. Yeah, yeah. it was interesting. Yeah. And they're like, proof that Obama <laughs> is surrounded by lizard folk. <laughs> proof incontrovertible proof you know they have gone back you know a lot of Bigfoot people claim that that, that famous Bigfoot photo is real like that's what they they go back to oh really
1: yeah. that one yeah that one super blurry image oh actually
0: image. go look up the Florida uh, I guess I can't I don't know what you would have to search for the, the a lady took a picture in her backyard and this picture has been verified to be legit and it's either like an escaped orangutan or like something it's really creepy looking. I'll send it to you. It's like yeah, f- Please send it. Yeah, it's please really send it. creepy. You know it's what, some animal in her backyard that's like freaking creepy.
1: Congregation, I'm going to post it on Facebook and Twitter. Go follow us and tell us, do you think that this is fucking real? Yeah. Do you think this is real? That's good. All right. I haven't seen the picture but I don't think it's real. It is I'm real. The picture say. itself is real. It's real. Probably not real. It's real. Oh. Could but, there be a conspiracy to make a conspiracy? Could there be a double conspiracy? That's,
0: on? that's just that's Could just, be a conspiracy squared? That's just dumb. Like an inception conspiracy? That's just what is that even? Oh, actually, well I guess that would be um what is it? Psyops. That's what that is, isn't it? Yeah. Like fault the false information thing. Yeah. yeah. I I got an answer for everything, Mr.
1: Let's move on. Yeah, let's get out of here. (laughs) Uh, All right, well, congregation, follow us on Facebook and Twitter so you can see the crazy monkey picture. It's probably just nothing, but please take a look. Also, um, email us at churchandotherdrugs at gmail.com and hit up our patreon we have links in the show notes the bonus Uh,
0: episodes are getting cray cray like you want to listen to them i promise oh
1: yeah so the the most recent one that i'm sending out this week is we were on pastor with no answers with our buddy joey spenson and so our patreons are going to get an early look at that episode absolutely unedited unedited
0: cut uncut so please don't share it with my mother that's what i always ask just keep it to yourself patreons
1: Okay, I got you, Miriam. Don't worry. That's (laughs)
0: that's not cool. That's not cool. Shame. (laughs) Alright. Later y'all.
1: Alright, later. Peace.